Come on, Ryan. Dance off. Me and you, bro. Let's do this. No. No. Okay, what about a debate? That sounds like fun. All right, let's do that then. Hello, interwebs, and welcome <laughs> to Close Up. I'm your co-host, Joe. And I'm Ryan. With Guardians 3 out in a few days, Ryan and I wish to debate an old question about the franchise. Was the first or second movie better? The answer isn't so clear-cut as some of you might believe. Full spoilers ahead for both Guardians films, you've been warned. From this extreme long shot, we zoom into our medium shot. We'll forgo our backgrounds with Guardians, as they're sure to come up in our points, but what's your overall stance on these films? I think they're great. I remember the hype of the first Guardians movie, me thinking, this is going to be bad. This looks weird, it looks stupid. I'm not going to like it. And I walked out, I was like, damn it, they got me. I liked it. It was pretty good. It expanded the Marvel Universe even more into a genre, which it could be silly, but also serious at the same time. It was like they made their own Star Wars before they bought Star Wars and had to make something in space adventure and was really good. But yeah, yeah. I think these Guardians movies are, are great, and I'm glad we're going back to when Marvel was good. good. <laughs> yeah, I think both these Guardians movies are in my top 10 uh, of the MCU. So, yeah, I'll be taking a side today, but to be clear, I love them both. So I'm not here to say the other one is trash or tear it down too much. I'm, I'm a big fan of both these films. I think it's some of the best the MCU has to offer in general, if only just because they don't feel like Marvel movies. They're really just James Gunn doing James Gunn and using Marvel characters. They feel more independent from the greater MCU, which has always been their greatest strength. They're just doing their own thing out there in the cosmos, and we love them for it. Uh, but let's get into our close-up now, start this debate. Ryan will be taking the side of Guardians 2, and I'll be on Guardians 1. Which, once again, is a completely arbitrary toss-up, because either one of us could have done either one of these sides, so... Yep. Alright, so you want to get started, or should I? You go ahead. Oh, to be clear here... first. Yeah, that makes sense. To be clear here, this debate's going to run a little bit differently than our first one did. Our first one was pretty structured, like a debate, maybe ought to be, but we found that came across a little bit stilted in execution. So this one, we just have a lot of points written down, and we're just going to do it mostly like the rest of our first debate. It was on uh, franchise fatigue. Um, oh. Yeah, yeah, like yeah. this was like episode was early on. This is like episode fifteen. This was way back. Uh, this is episode yeah. like fifty four now. I don't know, something like that. But yeah, we kind of came across as stilted, and um, we we like the more free flowing arguments. I mean, we've done sort of pseudo debates here and there. Some entire episodes <laughs> have been kind of debates, like our House of the Dragon one, uh, The Last of Us Part Two, our even our Mandalorian season three episode we just did uh for the last one but anyway let's let's get into this enough preamble so i'll be taking guardians one guardians of the galaxy 
isn't just a good Marvel movie, it's a damn good sci-fi story in its own right. And it's one of the only MCU films with serious rewatchability. I love Guardians 1 and 2, and admittedly like 2 even more than the first, to be honest. But Guardians 1 is a better movie, plain and simple. How do you start? How do you plead? Elevator pitch. I like Guardians 1. I think it's really good. But it is very much of... It still has that little Marvel formula where this is definitely an origin story. And it's the... it's Saying Avengers in space does not give it justice at all. But it has a little bit of that where... Okay, this is the first time you're seeing... Well, actually, Avengers not the first time you've seen these characters. But in this instance, it's the first time you've seen these characters. You're getting to know each one of their personalities. Um, and, you know, some personalities gel more well with others than, uh, than the other personalities, but overall it's a, it's, it's a good way to introduce everybody where if Guardians 2, you start to take those personalities from the first movie and really expand their characters, give them deeper stories, give them higher stakes, you know, the in Guardians One, I believe it was uh, it's them taking down Rowan, uh, Rowan, Ronan, because he's got the the Power Stone, and you know, uh, space adventure ensues. Where in this one, it's more of a personal story with um, Peter Quill and his connection to his mother, but mostly his connection to his father or lack thereof. And as he's trying to get closer to his father, he slowly is losing his other family with Gamora and the other Guardians of the Galaxy. And having that more personal story for Peter, I think, elevates it uh, to be a little bit higher than Guardians 1, whereas in Guardians 1, they had to play it safe, but they didn't really play it safe that much, where in this one, they can really go full-on balls-to-the-wall uh, weirdness and uh, James Gunny-ness. Yeah. So my first point here, I'll, I'll say that very importantly, Guardians 1 is the superhero movie that proved D-list heroes could be handled with respect and care. I don't know if that had ever been done before. You look at a lot of, there's a lot of crappy superhero movies that have come out over the years, even with some A-list characters. Even big people like the Fantastic Four have never been done quite right on screen. So how was it going to play out when someone like the Guardians of the Galaxy were keeping in mind here back in 2014? I'm a superhero nerd. I grew up with comic books and these characters and loved these worlds more than most casual watchers of these movies. I knew who all the characters were before the movies came out. Guardians of the Galaxy was the first Marvel movie that ever came out where I didn't know the characters at all. I don't know if I'd even I don't think I'd even heard of them. So that, like, once again, this is me as a nerd, zero context. I'm going into this as cold as my parents or friends who aren't into this stuff. I had zero expectations. I was just like, can they do this? And then they did, in spades. I still connect with the Guardians characters to this day a lot more than I did with the Avengers going forward, in many cases. And... I, I've heard that The Guardians isn't necessarily um, a pure adaptation from the comics. James Gunn changed a lot. and But once again, a lot of purists might have problems with that. I didn't care. To me, this was just a super fun movie 
and maybe they changed stuff, but it proved the D-list heroes didn't have to stay D-list. You like if you had the right writing, the proper care and respect for the source material and just didn't treat it like a joke. Any comic book adaptation could be a story well told. So it broke the mold in that regard. Like finally gave low tier characters some respect in the greater sphere. So yeah. It's a good point. Yeah. Any comment on that? But yeah, uh yeah, I I agree with you where um I mean, like, who were these guys? Like, the general population has no idea who the Guardians were before the Guardians movie even came out. Uh, and were they, did, would they even want to care? I mean, half the, more, um, almost half the group is a raccoon and a talking tree. You know, like, that's, and they're the comedic duo, and only one of them says three words, I am Groot. So you're just kind of like, okay, how do you even adapt these guys? Oh, just treat them as actual characters? Perfect. And... I mean, that works, but then uh, you have Groot, who who is great, you know, in Guardians 1, but then you get Baby Groot, who uh, is more memeable, more entertaining, and, uh, you know, uh, it's, it's a point for this movie, but it's a point for both movies. The way the soundtrack is used, or James Gunn's choices in music is used in both films is so well done, where it's, yes, they're catchy songs from maybe the 80s or the 70s, but there's a point to them. He uses the songs as storytelling beats where I can't remember what the song name is, but it's it's literally the scene where it's Peter Quill walking towards um, Ego and uh, when they're going into the ship. And uh, I can't remember the scene, but there's it's it's almost like a narration without it being actual narration. It's telling you what's happening in the scene through the song, which is what most music should be doing. I can't remember and what I song think James was used Gunn, in that scene specifically, yeah. but yeah. yeah. yeah James Guardians, Gunn is brilliant in his choices of music and how he uses music to further tell the story. Now, what I will say is Guardians 2 has a way better soundtrack than the first mm-hmm. one. They do use the music way more memorably. Like, like you said, there was that, um, there's the bit about... I always remember certain moments, like when they had that conversation about Brandy, you're a fine girl, and like how Ego is like, mm-hmm. this is the best song Earth has ever produced. And they kind of break it down. I'm like, yeah, I get that appreciation for it. Guardians 2, um, it, that, and that's the soundtrack I listen to myself more often. I, I don't think I've really re-listened to the first Guardians soundtrack in its entirety since it came out but I have a CD of Guardians 2 in my car that I play all the time. What I w- will say, though, is I think Guardians 1 has a better score. Um, and why I remember a lot of these in particular is because back in high school, my music teacher was awesome, and he got us the score for Guardians 1. This is around the time it came out, so it would have been around 2015. So in some concerts for the school we did play guardians of the galaxy music and the scene for Groot's death scene made one of my friends cry every time we played the song which was a lot (laughs) even in rehearsal so even just from that one and it's also got uh the best opening credits music as well for the marvel logo 
I always thought that was kind of just the default one. And then I realized, oh, they change it up every time. But that one's still my favorite one for when you see the Marvel logo. So just like the Guardians music. That's where it came from. Like the general one that they use. That's where it came from. Uh, I think the first Guardians one has its own unique one. They change it up a they change it up a little every time for a while. But like the main Marvel theme is from the Guardians, is what you're saying. I th- I think that was the first time I remember it being used consistently. Okay. Um like the the song they play over That's the opening logos. They they may have changed it a couple more times since then, but whatever. I know ver- I just say yes. <laughs> yes. Whatever versions are out there, this one is my favorite one anyway. Okay. But the score for yeah, the score for Guardians one is uh incredible. Still makes me feel all the right things at the right spots. Um so and I also want to rebut a little bit. You were talking about Baby Groot, so I'll just up this is a bit of a bouncing back and forth. But Baby Groot's Careful. great. Baby Groot's great. He's got a lot of great moments. But does he have any moments as good as we are Groot? Tying it back into the score, the moment when he finally has that, the, the we are Groot moment, when he ties it all together, sacrifices himself, and um, it's a tearjerker, gets, gets you every time. It's like the Groot moment in the franchise. And baby oh, Groot, sure. all he's got is adorableness, you know, which I'm, I'm not mm-hmm. saying that's a bad thing, but uh, other Groot was actually more of a character. Well, he's a baby. Mm-hmm. Can't give him, you know, all those faults. Although it does, I, I wonder if Baby Groot has the same memories as old Groot. Probably not. I don't think so. That'd be interesting. I think they're different people. What if they expand on that in uh, Guardians 3? We'll find out. Probably not. Because well, like, it, even it, he wouldn't be able to explain it. Why am I even asking? Anyway. Because, like, uh, he had to re-raise, <laughs> they had to re-raise him, basically. That's true. And by the time you get to Guardian's holiday special, he turns into like a completely different kind of tree. Mm-hmm. Oh yeah. He's like more yoked. <laughs> yeah. In the holiday so I, special. I think baby Groot's just a different person. Actual Groot's dead. Mm-hmm. So that was an actual right. sacrifice. What which, I love uh, and I hate them I hate I'm about to talk about this so early, but what I really love about Guardians 2 and why I think it puts itself above Guardians 1 is the villain. I think Ego, the living planet, played by Kurt Russell, is a phenomenal villain. And I think just the way I love villains who try to hide who they truly are at first, are manipulative and who are smart about it, and then they get so fed up with not getting their way that they show their true colors, and you see how evil they are. And his motivation for if you think about it, his motivation for his uh his plan is kind of the same as Rowan uh wow I keep saying Rowan Ronins where Ronin the these accuser. people are inferior yeah these people are inferior they don't have it good but what if everything in the whole world was me cuz I'm perfect where ego actually has a point because he is this celestial he was there from the beginning he is all powerful and the fact that there are these other people who aren't, and they're living in agony, but I can make everything better if they are me, because that's that's my purpose. Why why else am I here if it's not to 
spread the wondrous of me like any good tyrant but <laughs> he's got he's got a twisted brain but that's his focus where as in guardians one it's more of daddy doesn't like me i'm gonna blow up this planet or he won't blow up this planet for me but i'll blow it up where in this one it's more it's a bit more complex counterpoint to that the villain in guardians one is one of the most important ronin is really just like the darth vader of this thing. He's just the enforcer going to get the main MacGuffin, which is the Infinity Stone, which he's getting for Thanos, which I think this is the first time in that we've seen the Infinity Stone really be used to its full capability. And it really yeah. sets up, you know, and maybe it, it doesn't wrap up. It does wrap up in this movie, though. I mean, they, they contain the Infinity Stone's power also setting up that Star-Lord isn't entirely human, which is why he could hold it. So that does set up Ego pretty well there. But, uh, so they get the Infinity Stone, they show off its power, they also show the entire time Thanos is going after it. Thanos is the real villain of Guardians 1. He's just kind of hiding in the shadows, getting people to do his dirty work. Everyone talks about Thanos. Ronan's scared shitless of Thanos. Gamora and Nebula are forced to... Mm fight each other on Thanos' behalf. Nebula is also his lackey as well. Like, they're all directly under the order of Thanos. Nobody just, they just don't get to fight him. Uh, Seeing Thanos in Guardians 1, like in the movie theater, was shocking. I remember seeing that and being like, this is the first time he was actually a character. He would show up. Mm -hmm. Which is very very important, because if Thanos doesn't land in this movie, then... How are you going to take him seriously for the rest of the Infinity Saga? Guardians proved that Thanos could work on screen, and he didn't even have to leave his freaking chair. Mm -hmm. So so there's that. Also, Guardians 2 had gold people. So there's a demerit. What's wrong with gold people? They were just kind of useless. They were kind of a one... Yeah, but they're gold. (laughs) They were a one-note gag. Yeah, but Guardians 2... The lead to Adam Guardians Warlock, 2 had S- had Sylvester Stallone post Creed, where he's on his he's on his acting high, and he's got like two scenes, but in the first one where he says "You broke all our hearts," I was like, "Oh no, not Rocky." Yeah, they had the original Guardians of the Galaxy team in Sylvester mm-hmm. Stallone. Uh, the original yeah. one uh, had the Nova Corps, so that's cool. Which. I don't know a whole uh, lot yeah. about the Nova Corps, but uh, for... Because they get for comic- bodied off screen in Infinity War. <laughs> Unfortunate. <laughs> the coolest thing about the Nova Corps is they're basically Marvel's Green Lanterns. They're, they're the equivalent. They're like the Galactic oh. Fleece. Oh, yeah, I guess. So that's pretty cool. Also, I wonder that if that scene- will be expanded on and Also, that scene where they all... Like, three. Where all their ships... Combined together for mm-hmm. like that giant net at the end. That was awesome. Oh, it's a great, yeah, it's a great end piece in Guardians 1. Yeah. For sure. So the Nova Corps is like it's, it's the so other tough. side faction and they get, they get more to do than Sylvester Stallone. He's just kind of a cameo. Oh, cool dude, this is the weird, this is the weirdest debate. It's like, take this piece of chocolate and then take this piece of chocolate that looks the same and tell me which one's better. <laughs> it's like, take these two really good things and tell me which one you like more. You They're like both delicious. They both look the same. Better. Yeah. 
Milk chocolate. Milk chocolate or white chocolate. I can't tell the difference. Anyway, we're not talking about chocolate. (laughs) Uh, But in um, Guardians 2, what I really love, it's just more of a... I love in the sequel, they're not afraid to expand people's uh, character development. And not just with Peter Quill or Gamora, but literally everybody. Like, Drax gets some character development. Rocket gets a little bit more. You learn more about his backstory. Even freaking Yondu and uh, Nebula. Like, characters who probably were like, oh, they were fun characters in the original, but I didn't really care that much about them. And then you see the dynamic between Gamora and Nebula be expanded upon really, really well. You see Yondu and Rocket bond over the fact that uh, <clears throat> they both had terrible dads. And you just see more of just more of character development. And you see Peter starting to finally trust somebody and trust his father. And he's getting suckered into it and he doesn't even realize it. And there's just this kind of complex way of thinking like, okay, this guy is my dad. But should I fully trust him? Okay, I'm not going to fully trust him, but he's being tricked into trusting him. And Gamora's being like, hey, you said you weren't going to trust him, and why are you trusting him? He's like, hey, can you fuck off, bitch? I'm trying to trust my dad. And then there's that, there's just that whole, I, I just, I just like that. And some people might find that boring, it's not, like, visually uh, spectacular. But at the beginning of this mo- movie, they fight a giant slug alien, protecting some batteries. And I think that's really well done. Yeah. I I agree. The Guardians two, to me the main draw that is the main draw of the movie is the way it deepened the characters. A lot of my mm-hmm. favorite Guardians moments are from that movie, but also I wouldn't have cared about them so much in the first place if it wasn't for Guardians one. I think back to the very first scene of that movie, where my expectations took a like a jagged turn from where I thought it was going. You go into this movie thinking it's going to be a fun, sci-fi, campy adventure, and the first scene of the movie is Peter Quill's mom dying of cancer in the hospital. Yeah, they hit you with they hit you with that emotional gut punch immediately, and then he gets abducted by aliens. Mm -hmm. But like, this movie did not go the way I expect from scene one. The first scene was a tearjerker of Guardians of the Galaxy. The whole franchise started with like the mom dying of cancer. And the rest of the movie is, um, there's a lot of other big emotional beats too. Like uh, Gamora and Nebula, they, like the seeds of their relationship are planted there. They're constantly fighting each other to be Thanos' favorite daughter. So that's, uh, that's complex there. Drax is going after Ronan because Ronan killed his family. He's just, he gets his ass kicked a lot, but he's got that single-minded quest for vengeance. That he's mm. he's just got to beat, and um, I don't really remember Rocket and Groot doing anything that like emotionally spectacular. They're just trying think, to get like uh, the bounty, I think, yeah. in Guardians One, right? Trying to get Peter Quill's I bounty. I think so. But I think that's what I liked about Groot too is that he was clearly way more emotionally mature than everybody else. So that when the time came yeah. when he and he and he sacrificed himself, he was just fine with that. Because he he was sacrificing himself so that they could all keep going and grow. This Groot had already reached the end of his journey. He's just this old wise tree. If you told so, me that these two movies or this whole franchise came from a D&D campaign, I would totally believe you. 
because there's there's very much yeah. those like those types of vibes where it's these random characters who don't make sense together come together to defeat this all powerful villain twice. It ra- exactly. like it really makes sense, but well, there's the- that kind of vibe towards it and that camp towards it is what makes Guardians special. That to me is what the the main emotional thrust of the first story is. Number two does deepen their story in a lot of ways, but I think number one is a great found family narrative where all these mm-hmm. where all these people who never really found their place find a commonality and a good connection together. Like Rocket and Groot are good together, but they're just bounty hunters who nobody really takes seriously because Rocket's just a small little raccoon who talks way tougher than people think he actually is. So he's got this Napoleon complex. He builds big weapons and talks tough and does crazy (laughs) things just to look intimidating. And, And then you have like Gamora, who's just trying to look good for Thanos. You have Quill, who was abducted from his home as a child, and he kind of wants Yondu to notice him as well. Um, but he doesn't really know where he belongs either. None of these people know where they belong, like Drax as well. He's just after this single-minded objective because his family was killed. All these people are just sort of floating around in space without direction. And this... Infinity Stone gives them all a common purpose to go after first as rivals for each other, but then when they combine together, they realize that they have more in commonality than they are uh, different. So that's just a really nice story as well, very applicable to most people's lives. I think you, your friends and the people you find along the way that are commonality uh, with you. Uh, they can be just as powerful as wherever you came from. If you let them mm-hmm. in. So I'm going to rewatch these movies. It's <laughs> a very strong story. I'm going yeah. to rewatch these movies over this weekend. Um, yeah, those are, th- those are great points. This is so tough. <laughs> Why couldn't we have picked an easier topic? But yeah, <laughs> what I really like about... Um, Guardians, like, I can't, I'm just sounding like a broken record, but the fact that they were like, hey, we're going to expand the characters of Yondu and the Ravagers and Nebula is a really ballsy move, and I respect mm-hmm. it, especially when Yondu is kind of, in the first movie, he's, he's built up to be just this absolute asshole who's just so mean yeah. to Peter Quill. True. And he's just like, I was going to eat you when you were first on here, but they told me not to. Where in the second movie, it's revealed, oh, Ego sent him to capture Quill to bring back to Ego. But when uh, Yondu found out what Ego was doing, he just kept he just kept uh, Quill because Ego, spoiler alert, was murdering a bunch of his children, thinking he was a they were all celestials or had their celestial gene. Which, for some reason, the celestial gene is recessive, if you think about it. But it doesn't matter there. So, in a way, you're like, oh, Yondu did something wrong, but for the right reason. And the reason he did that ultimately became the reason why... Excuse me, I just phrased that wrong. But um, capturing Peter Quill and keeping him... Saved him, yeah. Got him. it, It saved him, but it also got him excommunicate from the other Ravagers, like the main Ravager core, 
So Yondu lost everything, but he gained something more important in his eyes, which is a really touching story. He said it himself, yeah. he's like, he might have been your father boy, but he wasn't your daddy. And that's such a touching tribute to the character and to him and Quill and his his death scene was so emotional, man. Them flying off into space and him protecting Quill over himself was just, man, I miss the Fireworks I miss like Yondu. display makes me tear up every time. I miss to father, Yondu, man. To father and son, the, the song. Mm-hmm. And Yondu moment. would not be as good of a character if it wasn't for Michael Rooker. He's such a Michael great Rooker actor. Is, yeah, Michael Rooker is one of the most talented performers in these movies, for sure. Mm-hmm. So, in rebuttal to that, I'll say that I think one of the big problems with Guardians 2 is that it arguably tries to tackle too much plot. It's great that they build up the supporting characters, but also, and the main ones as well, but also they're trying to take on a whole lot in this movie. You got Ego, you have like the whole plot line going on on that planet. You've also got the gold people chasing them. Then also uh, Rocket and Yondu are trying to escape the Ravagers as well. And then you've also got Nebula being built up more and then Mantis and Ego being introduced as well. So you have like three different plot lines happening that all kind of converge at different mm-hmm. points. Um, it's like a and full season always, of Stranger Things. <laughs> yeah, and it, and it doesn't always handle hours. it seamlessly. It's, there's just a lot going on, which I appreciate that they, that they tried. But what I love about the first one is that it's very straightforward. It's, here's a MacGuffin, Infinity Stone. Everybody goes after it. It's about the competition to get it. What happens when we do get it? Now that we have it, we're going to try to keep it away from you guys. The team is basically always together because that's another thing. Because of all this, all these plot threads, they had to separate the team for a large stretch of it, which, like I said, one of the big benefits about the first one is that found family narrative. And then in the second one, they split the family. So not only did they split the family and try to tackle a lot, but there's just less focus. The first one is so focused, so streamlined. It's just like, I can rewatch that movie a million times. And it's just, this is just a fun sci-fi movie. Whereas the second one, I got to be a little more in the mood for this deeper character study that uh, requires Mm. more emotional investment. The first one is just, okay, I can watch this. It's just a, it's a cool movie about finding a MacGuffin in space. Hmm. I hear what you're saying, but that's kind of the point of a sequel, right? Is to up the stakes, up the character growth. And, you know, if you want to up, like in the first Guardians movie, you can make the argument that Peter Quill is the main character, but they are all technically the main characters, so they should all deserve the same amount of character development and character growth. And the fact they didn't have to do Yondu and Nebula, the fact that they did was ballsy, and I appreciate mm-hmm. them for doing that. Does it add a bit to the runtime? Yes, but it helps throughout through for the <clears throat> the entirety of the um I almost said multiverse saga, the Infinity Saga, which you know. It's it's really appreciative, especially in moments in Endgame with Nebula and or the different variants of Nebula. It gets confusing, I know. But uh, it's 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 very interesting, and I honestly think the connection between 
I think it was a joke at first where someone asked Chris Pratt, hey, who would you want to play your father in the second one? And he said Kurt Russell. And then they got Kurt Russell, which I think is really funny. But just his performance alone is so good. His, he's so charismatic with Quill and especially with the audience because he's, he's Kurt Russell. I mean, he's, he was a huge star in the 80s. He's still a huge star now. Um, and then when he goes full-on villain, he's super threatening. When he turns into, um, oh, what's that one guy? David Hasselhoff for a quick second is really funny. Oh, yeah, yeah. When he makes his little cameo. And just their fights, and we're seeing, you're seeing two gods fight each other. But you have one that's a little bit more childish and has, he has his own personality. I mean, the Pac-Man. That one part where, it's, yeah, the comes in the Pac-Man before even Pixels was a thing. Or did Pixels better, can't remember. But that's really funny, and you just have basically these two Superman-like beings while you're trying to get the younger guys, uh, younger guys, the smaller people trying to defeat, you know, the little, well, the gold people again, but then also destroy um, Ego's brain. It's really well done. And I think Mantis, I think you could have easily made Mantis just kind of a one-note villain henchman, whereas she's really complex, where she's very afraid to be around Ego, which we don't find out till the holiday special, spoilers for people who don't know, is Quill's half-sister, which I think was guessed at in uh, in the second movie, but is only confirmed recently. And she's afraid of him. And she has a reason to be afraid of him. And as soon as the first few people who show up look like they, they can help her in defeating Ego, she's trying her best to get them to help her, even though she has to deal with Drax. And <laughs> it's it's just an interesting... Because you want to... The way Kurt Russell plays it, he is fully making you trust him. He's coming off that way. But then there's this character in the background who's giving off the vibe of something's not right, but you're not fully telling me. You want to be both goes down to the basement where you see all the baby yeah. skulls and you're like, Jesus Christ. You want to be both Peter and Gamora in this movie. You want to be, mm-hmm. you want like Peter for his father to just, you want to be happy for him and hey, he got his dad back and can't this just be a happy moment? Why do we have to ruin it? But also, like Gamora, you realize something's a little off about this guy, and I don't really trust it. But yeah, for sure. So they do. Uh, I want to double back to something you said about Drax and Mantis. A criticism, a criticism of this movie is, I think, I don't necessarily like what they did with Drax. This is okay. Well, he was okay <laughs> in this movie. He was the comic relief of Guardians Two, and that's fine. But Guardians 2 is the movie that started Drax as a joke character. And I... uh, Now, I know he kind of defeated his revenge purpose in Volume 1. And there was less of a reason for him to be as serious after that, after they beat Thanos especially. Because Thanos was the real cause of his family's death ultimately, if you're going up the food chain. But just Drax is just a constant joke. In volume two. And he's funny. Don't get me wrong. But I like he's Drax the Destroyer. And I really liked how serious he was in the first one. And then they just changed him so much in part two and beyond. That it's just hard to reconcile sometimes. Which 
snowballs into the other fact that I think the humor in part two sometimes goes a little too far. There's some jokes that they just won't stop. Uh, and once again, a lot of them are funny, but I think about ones like the, like the taser face gag. There's yeah, a, like ro- rocket rocket, especially is the main culprit of that where he just takes something and keeps trying to run with it till he runs it into the ground. It works with him though. I'll give him that where he's yeah. like, that's part of his character. He tries to annoy you to death, which once again, these jokes are funny. I laugh a lot in Guardians too. I I love the humor in it, but the, the first one found more of a tonal balance, whereas the right. second one was sometimes trying way too hard. It had mm-hmm. the heart part right, but the the humor was a little bit too much. It started feeling like other Marvel movies in that way, where the humor was starting to uh, superimpose over the other stuff not as badly as other obviously because the emotion mm. still came it was through, definitely the start it was definitely the start of it this was also the same year as spider-man homecoming and thor ragnarok keeping in mind i think 2017 was the turning point for mcu comedy Holy shit what a year yeah fantastic year for marvel movies but like i can see that as the turning point for when they started oh, yeah. to take that more comedic tone just as a Blanket rule. Mm-hmm. So I mean, I get. I just it just goes back to like Drax being like that barbarian character, right? <laughs> Where <laughs> he got his revenge in the first movie, and then he's got, and then the real Drax shows up. So I understand the critiques there, but I think just underneath all that is just a big dumb fool, who, <laughs> you know, yeah. enjoys the little things, especially um just straight up saying that. Some women look disgusting. A.K. Mantis. <laughs> hmm. Or horrifying. Excuse me. Use the wrong terminology there. Well, but I, it, even in like, even sexually... in Guardians 1, yes, he's, yeah. <laughs> hmm. Even Guardians 1, he is, a, I will, just to kind of counter that, he's a bit more, I feel, a little one note in Guardians 1 as well, where he's just mm. all angry all the time. And his humor just comes from his lack of understanding social cues. Like, his humor's better in Guardians 1, but that's just because he just doesn't understand it. Whereas in gonna... Guardians 2, yeah, yeah, yeah. What are you, what are you doing? I slice my finger down his throat. <laughs> yeah. What? No, no, like, that no, means no, no. we're gonna... It's an expression. We're gonna kill him. Yeah. Yeah. But yeah, I Which... see what you're saying. And I like, uh, if we're going off of characters here, I like Gamora. She opens up more in Guardians 2, and she yeah. becomes less of badass hunt. Like, she's still the badass huntress in Guardians 2, but she becomes more of trusting and uh, personality in the second one, where, I mean, I think Quill's the same throughout every movie he's in. Like, he grows as a character, but I don't think he really grows as a character at the same time, where it's going to be interesting to see what happens in Volume 3. I think I saw a lot of growth from by the by the holiday special. He's very clearly more confident in his role as a leader as as it goes mm-hmm. on. Um, but I also like that Guardians 1 gave him a good platform to grow from. That, like, yeah. why would this guy be in charge of a team? He's pretty silly. He's a loser. Which reminds me of that Guardians 1 has one of my favorite 
uh, title card sequences in all of movie history that I've seen. It's the best one. It's like it's so iconic. You just I just rewatched it before we did this episode. But uh, you see this desolate world. The ship comes on. You see the card twenty six years later after he got abducted. You see this scary looking guy with a trench coat and these red eyes walking through the um, walking through the rain and the storm, going like Indiana Jones style into a deserted city. It's all serious. What's going on? And then he takes his mask off and it's just Chris Pratt throws on the headphones and starts dancing through the rubble to come and get your love. Iconic. It was so good that they had to reference it in Endgame. That's how iconic it was. And they also had to try to top it up in Guardians 2 as well. The opening scene is just a, a, a dance number, basically, mm-hmm. where Groot's dancing through the... Uh, Ain't uh, a <laughs> shine. Yeah. Yeah. Mr. Blue, so I like, think it is. Once again, great Mr. Blue Sky. Yeah. Once again, great scene, but only because the first one did it so iconic without even mm-hmm. really trying. It was just... Hey, let's reintroduce our lead dancing through the rubble on an alien planet. And it feels really fresh. And it's just like to a to a 70s rocket. Like that just set the vibe for the whole movie right there. And it was so amazing right off the bat. Like this movie came in confident, knew exactly what it was trying to be. Yeah. And I also right love in that. This- it's a great it's just also good filmmaking where it tells you everything about that character. In that scene alone, where not just the dancing part, but when he goes to get the orb, and then when he's dealing with um, the other goons, he's like, who? Star-Lord, man. Like, he he thinks he's- Legendary outlaw. This reputation. You never heard of me? And then he's capable, he's capable of fighting, he gets away on the ship, and then he doesn't realize that there is a, there's a concubine there, who he forgot was there, (laughs) which it it just perfectly- it just perfectly sums up his entire character. And I think it's it's underrated in terms of filmmaking about, hey, do you want to know who this character is? This is it. Was the first was the first movie the one where he joked that if you put a black light on the ship, it would look like a Jackson Pollock painting? Mm-hmm. Was that the first one? Or the like, your ship's one? disgusting. Your ship's disgusting. She, and he goes, oh, she has no idea. <laughs> right. <laughs> that may be the dirtiest joke I've ever done. Yeah. Hearing that joke in the movie and everyone going, oh, <laughs> and all the kids are like, what's he talking about? No, don't answer. <laughs> I didn't get it the first kids. time either. I had to look oh, up. I what got it. it. <laughs> I had to look up what a Jackson Pollock painting looked like. Oh, OK. I only know what a Jackson Pollock painting is because it's been referenced so many times in movies and TV shows about how it looks like. Da da da, you know, <laughs> I see. I see. <laughs> Yeah. Oh yeah. Let's see what else. What I also love, I know the uh, they're not the Nova Corps, but the Gold People. What I really love about it does lower the stakes a little bit, but their whole army is a bunch of drones, but they treat it like it's a video game. Mm-hmm. Like that the is funny. the Gold People in their little pods. I think that's really funny. And the uh, also I love how their um, version of hyperspace is like hyper jump, and it opens up this little octagon thing or maybe that was in the original too i can't remember but it's like this little octagon thing and when they're like jettisoned through instead of and star wars it's iconic like the hyperdrive thing but yeah guardians was able to make their own version of it and i think it was really cool yeah so you're talking about the side villains that also reminds me of guardians one's other side villain is the collector 
So the whole yeah. collector and going into nowhere, that's some really cool stuff. I love seeing all the, the Easter eggs in, uh, in the mm-hmm. collector's collection. Uh, Benicio del Toro is a very, plays a very interesting neurotic character. He's, you know, he makes a small role in the movie, but he's pretty memorable for what screen time mm-hmm. he's got. Um, and one of my favorite scenes, and it also shows the power of the Infinity Stone when it gets loose and blows up and uh, nearly takes the collection with him. Yeah, so that, just a that whole person grabs it. Yeah, so the Collector feels dangerous for his small role. Uh, he plays a pivotal part. It's, it's a memorable role. Um, as a side character, I think he's more memorable than the Gold People for, like, the mm. B-tier villain. Oh, for sure. But also in that, but also in that scene, a bit of a side note. I just, I love the bit of improv by Chris Pratt when he's holding out the orb and then he drops it. That's great. Which apparently he actually dropped, and they just kept mm-hmm. it in the movie because the the way he Always, recovered yeah, was just so in character. He's great at improv. Yeah, yeah, and I you agree. Have to say a word. Uh, the collector is. I think the collector is just such a fun character, just because it's Benicio del Toro, and. Mm-hmm. Uh, <laughs> I think he's just an amazing actor. It's going to be interesting to see who is it in Guardians 3. Adam, I think it is. Adam Warlock. Adam Warlock. That's going to be interesting. Because he, he's going to be sent by the gold people to maybe take down the Guardians. And I have a sink, um, sinking suspicion that he is going to join the Guardians by the end of the fucking movie. I just, it's going to be a feeling. Or he well, Adam, goes away. Adam, Adam Warlock is one of the core Guardians members in the comics. That's why everyone was so excited when the gold lady said Adam, because he's like, oh, finally, we're getting Adam Warlock. Like, he's a key player who's been missing up until yeah. now. And so it's that, been, what, six years? People are like, we've been waiting. Please. <laughs> don't you love how Guardians 3 was supposed to be in Phase 4? It was supposed to come out about three oh, years yeah, ago. Oh, yeah, it was. Yeah. And then they fired and James like COVID, Gunn. And then the firing James Gunn, yeah. Fools, now he's running DC. And then you let him back to run <laughs> Guardians 3. Guy got his cake and ate it too. And then he fired Fantastic. Henry Cavill. Anyway, I'm kidding. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> We're a little bitter about that here, but uh, I get it. I was scrolling through like saved Instagram posts, and then the one post of Henry Cavill posting, hey, I'm back here, can't wait to do more, came up. I was like, oh, and I had to keep scrolling. I said it before, but I wouldn't have even cared that they fired Henry Cavill if they didn't just bring him back. Yeah. I'd long since... The Rock didn't make I'd him lo- come back. I'd long since stopped hoping too hard that he'd come back, and then they brought him back just to fire him. That's what made it worse. Mm-hmm. Anyway. What else about Guardians 1 here? Uh, So... Uh, yeah, I thought I was gonna bring up I was gonna bring up a point that like Drax did a dumb thing where he called Rowan, uh, Jesus Christ, Ronan, to nowhere, and then I remember Drax was like extremely drunk, so <laughs> that was yeah, it's not really uh, he drunkenly called him up for that one-on-one battle, and then Ronan nearly killed him. Yeah, which once again, this is a good example of the tonal mixing, right? Because it's kind of funny a drunk Drax calls Ronan, but when he beat, mm-hmm. he was beating down Drax and threw him into the pool for him to drown. That was taken pretty seriously. Mm-hmm. Nobody was joking during yeah. that scene. When it's things got serious, killing your family. That was also the same scene when uh, Gamora was 
suffocating to death in space, and then Peter saved her. Yeah. Which, Which started their relationship died, off. Like, instantly. I, actually, technically, he's a celestial. Now you can think I was going to say, that's one of the other hints that he there was more to him. Which, okay, here's another criticism about Volume 2, and this is more of a me thing. I was always disappointed that he never got to keep some of his powers after yeah. Guardians 2. I mean, they like, reference oh, it in your dad War, died. but he's not, yeah. I'm like, just because Ego died, why does that have to make your powers disappear too? Is that yeah. how genetics works in this universe? Like, my parents die, therefore the stuff that they gave to me is just gone now? Like, what? My I dad died, therefore all, like half my genetics don't work anymore. I have a theory, and that he will be able to tap into it during Guardians 3. Because, yes, in Guardians 2, he is, you know, his powers go away, but that's because he was drawing power from the literal source of Ego, and it was easy for him to do. Where, as in, let's say in 3, he has to look inside himself and bring out the Celestial. I mean, they still, they, he even referenced it in Infinity War, it was like, I'm part Celestial, or I'm part God, or whatever. So yeah. that makes me... Well, it was like a throwaway line, but you but know, and it would give him it would give him the opportunity to, um, you know, redeem himself after punching Thanos in the face. But you know, mm. it's fine. But <laughs> ego also specifically it. mentioned, if you kill me, then your power goes away, which may have been just a manipulative tactic. But if we're mm. taking him at face value, then he is just powerless now. I guess Guardians Three will decide it. But for now. I got to assume that he's powerless, which kind of sucks. It'd be interesting it's to not... see. So that bit disappointed Because, like, how else do you too. fight? How else do you fight Adam Warlock, though? That's what I'm wondering. Like, how else would you defeat him? Uh, you make Rocket. <laughs> you make Rocket build a really good weapon. Uh, yep. That's good it. weapon. <laughs> you have Groot punch him really hard. You uh, you have mm. Nebula do something, and Craglin do oh, yeah, his Nebula little whistle. Oh yeah, on the team now. Forgot and Craglin do his little whistle thing. Oh, Craglin. Craglin's not the same. Without, I miss Yondu. I know it's Sean Gunn and he's great, but I miss Yondu. I like Craglin. Yeah. Can't wait to. I. It probably won't be, but that'd be funny if there's another Kevin Bacon cameo. Mm-hmm. <laughs> I think one How was enough for me. That, the though, fact like, that they did that. It's so funny that he was such like, not a throwaway line, but just part of this character's backstory. And then he was just like, yeah, I'll be, <laughs> I'll do this whole special. The great hero, Kevin Bacon, who saved his town through dance. Mm-hmm. So funny. Which reminds me another thing I like about Guardians 1. I think it's the more quotable of the two. Now, Guardians 2, we've been quoting a lot today as well. I think it is very quotable, but I think Guardians 1's got, like, the movie came out nearly 10 years ago, and I still quote some of those things on a regular basis, I'll say. Oh, God, don't say that. (laughs) I know. Me scared. (laughs) I know, nine years ago, Uh, the movie came out. Uh, We're old. Yeah, and I still quote it all the time. Like, when somebody asks me... Like, just for example, that one line about, you think it'll be, like, where are we going? Somewhere good? Somewhere bad? Bit of both. (laughs) (laughs) That's one I always do. Uh, I also like a bunch of jackasses standing in a circle. 
Yeah. Uh, there's Dance some off, like funny behind the scenes stuff where uh, when they interviewed Bradley Cooper about it, he's like, I felt it felt really unfair because I all got to work. I got to work off all what they said when they filmed on set. And I just got to improv and talk shit to them all day. It was really weird, <laughs> but they weren't able to respond because <laughs> he's in a booth, right? Right. It's really funny. That's interesting. And funny so on know, Guardians you... Volume 2, when he's in, like, he's got, like, a full beard and, like, really long hair. And you're like, hmm, I wonder what that's for. And then freaking Stars Born comes out. <laughs> True. So what do you Which think about the quotability movie? of... What do you think about the quotability of Guardians 2? How does it compare? Uh, well, with Guardians... Honestly, it's been so long, I can't remember much from Guardians 1, except the stuff that we've already quoted. And uh, with Guardians 2, all I can really think about is, like, ego stuff. So, yeah, I think Guardians 1 definitely has a bit more quotable stuff, even though I'm not remembering much of it. Because um, we're old. Nine years ago is yeah, cause we're so old. much of our lifetime. Back then, we didn't have Discord. We had to use Skype. <laughs> True. Back then, we actually had what? to... Middle high school. Back, back then, we had to call people. Yeah. And no, I was, we had text yeah. People then. barely texted. People barely texted, though. It was mostly, like, social media stuff. It was like... Nobody really used Facebook Messenger or anything back then? No. It was... Not really. Was I think it was mostly Snapchat. That was back in the days people honest. actually posted on Facebook. Yeah, like actually had it was really funny, like legitimate posts, not just shared articles and stuff. We lived in that era when we were kids, like actual kids, where you would call someone's home line to see if they wanted to hang out instead on of like a landline message or yeah, on a landline. Which some kids don't know what a landline is, which is fascinating and scary for me. I remember the first um, time I ever saw an iPhone, I had my mind blown. I, like, I still remember the first time I saw an iPhone when I was yeah. 12. I'm like, what do you mean you can touch the screen? And now they're everywhere. Like, aren't you reckon it touching the screen? No, you're supposed to do that. What? Mm-hmm. And little by little, they keep getting rid of all the buttons. <laughs> yep. That's I also, really uh, I read a funny journal entry of mine from forever ago it's from back in 2011 and it was talking about how that was the day my school got wi-fi installed i'm like oh, wow a public building without wi-fi how old am i <laughs> anyway oh god so uh, what uh, to you got any more to say on <laughs> guardians one or two i mean i just think they're both like phenomenal movies and i think they're really well filmed and it's hard arguing which one's better? Because I think tonally, they both go into separate directions. Whereas Guardians 1, it's very much an origin story. It's very much an adventure film. It's very much get these bunch of nobodies together to stop the bad guy and ultimately save the day. And at the end of the day, they'll become more than just a team. They'll become family, which is what Vin Diesel always gets himself into. Where in Guardians 2, it's very much of a personalized story for each and every character. It's about you know, parental loss, it's about abandonment issues, it's about relationships within your family, dis dissociation, you know, all of that. So, to say which one is better is very hard for me, because tonally, they both, they go, they go this way, right? They go into two different paths. 
Yeah. But it, honestly, they're if trying, we're talk, they're trying think, for different things. Yeah. If we're really, gonna talk, I think they're a tie. <laughs> I think yeah. they're just both great. For me, I've always said that if we're talking about best, it's two different things. We never really specified what we're trying to say it's best at. So for mm-hmm. me, I'm going to cheat a little bit as well and say that Guardians 1, I think, is a better movie. It's more, like I said, it's, it's really what it comes down to is that simplicity. Uh, it's, it's way more rewatchable. I think I've rewatched Guardians 1 more than any other Marvel movie at this mm-hmm. point. Like, I've got a special relationship with it. But I really love the, the way Guardians 2 deepens the characters. A lot of my favorite moments from that franchise are from Guardians 2 for character moments. So I think Guardians 1 is a better movie, but Guardians 2 is, the, my perf- is a better Guardians of the Galaxy movie, if that makes sense. Right. Okay. I like number two more, but number one is technically better. Right. So. Gotcha. Anyway. Uh, anyway, in terms of this debate, I say they're both great, but Guardians 2 is easier to tear down because it's got a few more problems. So <laughs> Guardians 1 is a better movie. That's my final statement. They're both great. That's my final statement. All right, any more thoughts, or do you want to wrap her up? I hope the third one's good. That's it. I hope it's good. I guess you'll I find it's not out mediocre. On... Yeah. We've been waiting six years for it, so it's nearly a legacy sequel at this point. <laughs> uh, I think it's got to like, hit like the 10-year or 20-year mark for it to be a legacy sequel. <laughs> six years for a sequel is a pretty long time, though. Mm-hmm. I mean, how long was it for... No, Star Wars was three years. Never mind. I think about it. Um, yeah. Alrighty, well. You can find me at Ryan Walker Official on YouTube and on Instagram. You can find me on Instagram, TikTok, and Facebook at ThoughtPlay Media. Also, check out the Close Up with Ryan and Joe Facebook page for latest updates on the show. If you listen to us on audio, check out our YouTube channel. And if you're on YouTube, find us anywhere you get your favorite podcasts. We hope to see you on the next close-up with Ryan and Joe, where I assume we'll be reviewing Guardians 3. Till next time. And see wish ya. us luck for Guardians 3.